Well, hi, everybody. Welcome to another Practical CMO show. Today, we've got a really interesting topic, I think, and it's really about the evolution of customer communications. We're all aware that there's been a shift to a higher percentage of remote workers, and all the projections look like that shift will continue after the current pandemic recedes. In fact, some studies indicate that there were 7% of the whole workforce that worked remotely pre-pandemic and post-pandemic, it's anticipated that about 20 to 30% of the workforce will work remotely. Now, of course, that's a challenge managing your own staff, but it's a, perhaps even a bigger challenge in terms of effective customer acquisition, customer development, and retention. So today we want to talk about what are some of the most effective communications channels and content. And uh, we'll pose the question, should we reconsider a blend of more traditional communications along with a higher mix of digital? In this program, we'll discuss some best practices and share some practical ideas. So let's get today's conversation started. Today, my guest is Rob Johnson, a highly experienced communication executive with a great background in corporate development. Rob focuses on creating cultures of high collaboration and strong communications. If you take a look at Rob's deep background, you'll see there's just uh, so much expertise in communication strategy, journalism, media, and political engagement. I just thought Rob's background was such a great fit for today's business needs, especially as workforce distribution and ongoing pandemic challenges create new needs to navigate the return to office protocols and to figure out what your effective customer acquisition programs might look like. Now, Rob, I mean, this is a radio program, but you spent 13 years on TV. So how's this going to work for you? Actually, I spent almost 30 years on TV. The last 13 of those were at CBS. Okay, I stand corrected. Yeah. So listen, communications is always important. And, and one of the key things that I've tried to impress upon potential clients and clients is that when you are working remotely, as so many people are doing right now, you need to make sure that you have an effective communication strategy, not only internally to your employees, where you first have to get buy-in and you have to get unanimity, but then you have to have a good external strategy so that even though you are not business as usual right now because of the COVID crisis, you are projecting the image that you want to project to the world, to your customers, to your other stakeholders. And that is so important right now because so many businesses are struggling. And when you have, say, let's say you have 250 employees, for example, and you're used to being in the office and you're used to talking to each other, you're used to having meetings in person, you're used to sitting around the water cooler, or getting a cup of coffee or whatever the case is. And now you don't have that. It is so important to make sure, especially if you're a boss, if you're in the C-suite, if you're a CMO, to make sure that you are communicating from the top down, from the C-suite down to make sure that everybody feels engaged and they feel a part of it because there's real disconnect. And I have several clients where a lot of the rank and file say, I haven't heard from my boss in a few days or whatever, and I don't know what's going on. And that boss may be doing 12 other things, which is natural, but it's so important to make sure that you have a clear strategy right now because you don't want to lose the workers, especially if they're all working remotely now. The game has changed a lot. Mm -hmm. And Rob, you know, I recall just before I took a two-year assignment and moved to London, England, we did 360-degree analyses. And the person who did the work said, you know, you're going to be really challenged 
communicating with your boss because I know both of you are very effective in person and he doesn't really like to be on the telephone or, you know, be on a video conference and you're going to be in London and he's going to be in Minneapolis and you're going to have to find a way to make that kind of communication work effectively for you both. And honestly, I, I appreciated the heads up. I wouldn't say that I actually did very well at that because I felt many times that you know, I wasn't as connected as I would have liked to have been. But how much do personal styles come into play in that conversation, Rob? Oh, they come in pretty extreme because if you are somebody who is gregarious, who is outgoing, who is a all about collaboration, then you're going to make it work for you and your team as you move to a different way of doing it from in-person to virtually. So you have a greater chance of doing it. The people that I worry about are the people that are not great communicators that feel like if they know something and two or three other people know something, then that's good enough. And I think, especially in this day and age, especially during these times where you're relying on so many people to be pulling in the same direction, but they're not all in the same room or they're not all in the same building, it's a, a huge challenge. So the personal styles really matter. And what I try to do with some of my clients is gain the trust of the C-suite executive, whether it's the CFO, the CEO, the CMO, whatever it is, or all of them, preferably. And if somebody says, you know, that's not really my style, you know, sending out a weekly email is not really my style. It's like, you need to. They want to hear from the boss. People are craving to hear from their boss. Now, this was last year's Edelman Trust Barometer, and it related to COVID. And so these numbers are, you know, several months old now, but it drives the point home that I want to make, that they trusted the media the least, where they were getting information, they trusted their company the most. Now, you probably can't say that in, you know, day in and day out in the history of business, but during COVID, when people were, when, and people are still separated because we all can't be in the same building. Right. They trusted their employer the most to tell them what was going on. If you know that, no matter what your communication style is, if it's natural to you, then you don't need a lot of help from people like me. If it's not natural to you, then we need to talk. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of what I would say. Styles matter. No doubt about it. Talking about style issues and the need for a high value, high performing internal communications culture. I'm always surprised, particularly in small and mid-sized businesses, why that's such a challenge. I mean, here's a quick example, Rob. Maybe you've seen businesses that you've worked with are similar, but I was get some work for a business. They were 80 or 90 people. They all lived in the same building on the same two floors. But sometimes I'd go there and the product organization would say, well, we don't really know what the developers are working on. And I thought that was a little bit strange the first time I heard it. And then, you know, every time I went up there, it was kind of the same story, right? We're not really sure what the tech guys are, are working on these days. It's like, so finally, I got kind of frustrated. I said, well, wait a minute. They're in this building, aren't they? Yes. I said, are they on this floor? Yes. It's like, well, where do they live? It's like, well, like two doors down, right? That's where they are. And I just, I'd never understood how a company, a small company 
could function where, you know, people were complaining. They didn't, they had no idea what other people in that business were actually working on. I mean, you fix these kinds of challenges in your business. How would you approach something like that? Well, first of all, I would say that the smaller companies that you're referring to, and I have one potential client that I'm getting ready to work with here in the coming weeks, I'm hoping. And the issue is, and it's not to make excuses for certain people, but if you're the CEO and you're a small company, chances are you wear several hats. You don't just wear one hat. And you are consumed by the enormity of not only your job, but the other jobs you're doing, which is why this particular CEO engaged me. Listen, I could use you on about three or four different fronts. And a lot of it was internal communications with the people that work there. I'm so busy doing all these other things that I don't have the bandwidth to do it. Can you help me with this? And the answer is yes, I can help you with this. The other thing that you made a great point about, Mark, is you're talking about the, I don't know what the tech guys are working on. Well, listen, tech guys are not going to be sitting there. They're not the most communicative people in the building. And that's fine. They're really good at what they do. The tech men and women, they are focused on whatever projects they're working on. And if you want everybody to know what they're working on, then you all need to meet and communicate and have that opportunity where you go around the horn and you talk about what you're doing. I don't think that's a real radical concept, but what I've been surprised about is how many companies, especially the smaller ones that are just putting their head down and just trying to plow through and get through the day so they can get to the next day. I'm always surprised at how little they communicate. And one of the takeaways that I've given some of my clients, one in particular, is when you are living this world where it's on Zoom or Microsoft Teams or Google Meets or whatever your platform is, that you need to communicate a little bit more. However much you were used to doing, you need to do a little bit more. We're 10 months into this right now, into this reality. So I hope a lot of people have figured this out. But sadly, I know that a lot of them haven't figured it out. And the result of it is you have a disconnect between you and your internal stakeholders, your employees. And that's a real problem. So I would say the reason that the communication doesn't happen sometimes in these smaller companies is because the CEO or the C-suite level folks, they're all doing several jobs. They need to find somebody that is tasked with making sure there is an open line of communication. And if you don't know what the tech men and women are working on, then you need to have a meeting here. You don't need to have a four-hour Zoom meeting, but why don't you have a meeting just, hey, what are you, what's everybody working on? What's going on? What's happening this week? What's happening this month, this quarter, whatever the case is? It's doable, but not everybody does it. Yeah. Okay. We've been talking about internal communications primarily uh, in this segment, Robin. I would extract your points that, you know, now is the time for any business to step up the volume and quality of the internal communications, right? Because you really need to get everybody aligned Mm -hmm. for those people who might feel isolated working from home. They need to feel part of the organization. And you've offered a couple of reasons why that might be challenging, both in terms of just sort of skills, the basic nature of some people and their communication style, as well as the challenges for executive teams of managing. And of course, this pandemic has put additional challenges just in terms of managing the the business appropriately. I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about some of the external challenges that the pandemic has brought on, the external communication challenges. 
particularly related to refining or defining better go-to-market programs when a lot of your prospects and a lot of your customers aren't in the office either. And I think companies are really struggling trying to find that balance of, okay, well, everybody's doing webinars, right? I mean, I don't have the data, but I can tell you just the number of webinars, the number of articles on LinkedIn in the last 10 or 12 months has to just exploded, right? Because people realize that, hey, this may be the only way I can get in front of prospects and my existing customers. What are you finding relative to a changing mix of traditional forms of communication, even going back to, you know, direct mail, right? Putting print catalogs together, putting mail pieces together, print pieces together versus kind of stepping up your digital marketing programming overall. Well, I think you need to sit there and be honest about where your company is and where you want to go, even though the times are uncertain, even though business is done in a different way. But I can tell you that if your strategy does not have a large chunk of it that's devoted to digital marketing, then you don't have a chance. Now, think about the mailers. You know, think about opening your mail on a daily basis, and there's a bunch of them, and this and that. And it's not really targeted. It's targeted because you're a resident in maybe a more affluent area or whatever the case may be, but it's not targeted. Digital marketing, as a lot of the CMOs know, is targeted directly to what people want. And because they're on this device every day for hours at a time on their computers, on their tablets, on their phones, this is where everybody's spending time right now. So if you're thinking about a go-to-market that doesn't include a large chunk that is devoted to digital marketing and how you get in front of people. And not only how you get in front of people, but how you get in front of people. And with all the algorithms, listen, I will sit there and have a conversation with my wife about a certain product. And then for the next week, it just pops up on my phone all the time, magically. We know how that works. That's not a mystery. But since you know that, you really need to make a concerted effort. If you have a finite number of marketing dollars, and everybody does, where are you going to spend most of it? And I would say a lot of your go-to-market right now needs to be, where is everybody? Well, they're not in front of me. I can't get in front of them. Let's say you're a retail. I can, they're not coming to my store that much. Maybe they're going online. Well, they're sitting right here on this computer all day working. And this is the game. And I don't want people to miss the game. As it relates to, and so I think I'm answering two different questions here. The one is the go-to-market, which I just you know, express my real belief about the digital marketing piece. Then there is the, I have to go get clients. And I'm thinking about a couple of my clients in particular who are used to say flying to New York. They go give a big presentation. Let's say they're a financial firm, big presentation in a gorgeous conference room in front of four or five people and they wow them and they have their team right there. And then they go to dinner and they wine and dine them and they have a few expensive bottles of wine and then they all shake hands and then your team hops back on your flight and comes back to Chicago. It's not happening as much. It might be happening a little. I'm not discounting it. But what I am telling you is you need to make sure that if this is the game right here, if the virtual presentation game is the game, then you have to adapt and you have to conform. And a lot of the training that I do is virtual presentation training. It starts with simple things like, how do you look? 
Where's your lighting? Are you distracting? Are there, is there a bunch of things behind you? I mean, and it goes into the deeper issues of how do you communicate? You can only see from the chest up, really. Right. So I, I can't read body language. I can't shake a hand. I can't read you as well as I would as if I were in the room with you. Right. And a lot of people say we can't close deals because we can't reach out and touch those people quite literally. And I say, it's all about preparation because as we peel back the proverbial onion a little deeper, we'll find that, you know, we had a one o'clock meeting and we hopped on at five till and okay, this and that, but we didn't really come up with a strategy. Yeah. And think about it when you're in person, before you go in a meeting, maybe you're at the hotel together. Maybe you're outside the conference room that you're going to be presenting in and everybody says, all right, I'm going to do this and you're going to go there. Then you're going to do that. This is not high level stuff here in terms of communication, but you would be surprised when the game is on zoom or it's on WebEx or somewhere else, they'll say, gosh, we didn't really, you know, sometimes we're presenting and then there's this awkward pause because nobody knew what was coming next. And I'm like, well, here's what you do. I know you all are in zoom meetings all day virtual meetings all day, one behind the other backed up. But before your presentation, even if you don't know if it's going to be the big presentation, even if it doesn't rise to that level, why don't you hop on for 15 minutes and say, all right, I'm going to do this part. And then when we get to that part, you're going yeah. to go and then you're going to go and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. And, and people act like, wow, we should be doing that. <laughs> and I think, <laughs> I think, well, that's not really that clever, but if you think it is, you know, that's good. Yeah. The other thing I try to tell people about as it relates to virtual communications is, let's say you're presenting a deck on a virtual platform. And sometimes, you know, right now, a lot of us are competing with eighth graders who are all on Zoom right now in their, you know, virtual classrooms. So the bandwidth isn't great. You get knocked off the presentation and you're presenting. There better be somebody else that can take that. If you get knocked off, that can take it and run with it. So yeah. I always say, Make sure that there are two people that understand that they're the potential. One is a driver and one is a potential driver. And if you got knocked off, you have the ability to share. So if that person gets knocked off, you can continue the deck until they can get back on. These are more technical issues, but I want people to really think about them because you need to have that backup because you don't want to have your presentation go awry because you were the main person. You got knocked off for 30 seconds, a minute or three minutes. And then everybody's like, well, and then you lose right. your moment. Yeah. Yeah, they're technical issues, but they affect the delivery, the quality of the content. And you've already done a great job of starting to transition into some best practices and some practical guidance. We've talked about businesses which have and have not mastered the reality of remote work. And just before the break, we were talking about how critical digital marketing is. Chief Outsiders just done a recent survey. I think we had several hundred CEOs participate. And we said, you know, what are your big concerns? You know, what are your big initiatives as you go into 21, right? So this is fresh data. And by far, the most important initiative that they identified was doing a better job of digital marketing. Digital marketing is such a big and complex and quickly evolving discipline that even for those of us who are chief marketing officers, sometimes we feel like it's just constant learning, right, to keep up with some of the new trends. I mean, just a quick example, Google typically issues three fairly substantial algorithm changes each year. And if you weren't aware of what was happening last year and how the algorithm switched to more of a natural language search, you might've found yourself going from 
number four when somebody searched for your business to being pages deep, right? So these things are very impactful for businesses to just stay close. So, you know, let's talk about your experience with digital marketing. I mean, if it is the number one initiative for a lot of businesses in 21, in fact, the most important initiative, according to CEOs sort of self-reporting, what do you think the challenges are for businesses? I mean, you've talked about some very practical challenges about how do you substitute a Zoom meeting for you know, what used to be an in-person, highly professional, highly prepared visit, right? Your New York example. I mean, I've been on those kinds of trips, right? You spend right. days preparing for those and making sure everybody's brief and everybody knows their role and they got, we got the script down and the materials you use are going to be as effective as you can make them. What are you seeing the challenges from your perspective as companies recognize the importance of digital marketing, but are struggling to sort of get on board? I think if you haven't gotten on board, then you're really struggling right now. If you're sitting here in early 2021 and you say, oh gosh, I haven't really thought about digital marketing, you're already being left behind. And so what you need to do, depending on the size of your company, you're going to have a marketing department. If you're a little bit bigger company, you know, mid-sized to larger you're going to have people that are tasked with doing this day in and day out. And you need to have obviously the technical expertise to help with that. But as I mentioned earlier, you know, that's where the audience is right now. And I was in broadcasting for years. I was in television for years. It was called broadcasting. And so you were just trying to send it out to everybody. It was sort of like the analogy of the direct mail. You know, I'm just going to send it to every house in that neighborhood, but I don't really have any strategy. The great thing about digital marketing is, you can be strategic. If you don't have that expertise on your staff, you can certainly hire somebody like, I'm sure the chief outsiders, for instance, I'm sure they would be happy to help. We would, uh, absolutely. <laughs> you can outsource that assistance. There are so many people that do this. There are so many people that spend their entire day trying to figure out how they're going to reach that audience. And instead of broadcasting, I always call it like narrow casting. Instead of just sending this, massive message out to everybody and it's not relevant to most people, I think, man, the beauty of digital marketing is there's enough AI out there where whatever you're selling, you're going to be able to target a very specific audience and get in front of them on a regular basis. And all you need is the technical expertise. Yes, you need the technical people. You need the IT people working alongside the marketing folks. And you may have a staff big enough already. You maybe can hire somebody who is a digital marketing whiz that can help you with this. Or maybe you outsource it to companies that only do this. I've met in my networking in the past six months, I've met more marketers, more digital marketers than I can even remember because mm -hmm. so many people are doing this because there's such a great demand for this, especially because we are sitting here on virtual calls and this is how we're doing business right now and everybody's realizing you know what this kind of works you know it may not be the greatest but i'm sure there's companies thinking hey this might be the strategy for longer term which means you better get your virtual presentation down and you better make sure that you are truly committed to digital marketing because again if i'm spending all day in front of my computer and you're spending all day in front of your computer and the people that are listening to this they're saying, yeah, man, I'm out, I, mean, I take a little break, but I'm down there eight, 10 hours a day, whatever the case may be. That's where the audience is. 
Yeah. That's where the audience is. So I don't know if that gets into enough technical issues for you. I always like to look at it from a bigger picture perspective because I'm a communications expert and I have this background in, you know, kind of targeting your audience and how do you reach them and doing that sort of thing. And it's really no different than the work I used to do. It's just done at a much higher level technically with the digital marketing. Yeah. And when you talked about sort of the shift in your own career from broadcasting to narrow casting, it's really what I would call a similar shift would be going from funnel management to pipeline management, right? Yeah. In terms of sales revenue. I, I hate the word funnel. I mean, I started my career in sales. I feel like I'm in a sales meeting. We're in a yeah, sales I meeting. Know, now, right? I know. It's like, really, we shifted gears. We insidiously, we did that, right? But, you know, I never liked this idea of, you know, you go find 5,000 prospects to get five customers. I just thought that was terribly inefficient, right? And yeah. in my first sales role, I had 50 prospects and I got 49 customers out of the 50. And the one I couldn't close, couldn't pay me in US dollars at the time. And, you know, that was always my model for efficient marketing, right? Which is efficient targeting. And I think you're right with AI technologies today, you can get very precise about who you're talking to, what messages you think will connect and resonate with them. What are the attributes that they look for when they're doing a supplier selection? And I mean, here's a story. You might not be surprised, but somebody called me up about a month ago and said, oh, my AI system on LinkedIn identified you as somebody I need to talk to. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of like, okay, I'm sure that happens all the time. Now, I think that was the first time anybody ever did the attribution to their technology. Yeah. But they're doing that though. I mean, think about like Sales Navigator on LinkedIn, you just referenced LinkedIn, but Sales Navigator, this whole thing is set up to give people the advantage to make sure that, all right, so we're talking to the practical CMO audience right now. So, I mean, I'm not telling anybody something they don't know, but you can put in different things in your algorithm and your search areas where you want to hit CMOs from smaller companies or startups and offering a certain thing. So, there is some value in that. There's still the old funnel thing that you're talking about, Mark, which is 5,000 prospects to make five sales. Yeah, it doesn't sound terribly efficient. This is a little bit more efficient and Sales Navigator is just one of the many CRMs that are out there. But right. I would say that you know when you're out there trying to cultivate your customer base, your audience, as it were, it's a little bit more strategic than just, all right, here's a cold call list. Just go hit all those and see what happens. You want to be strategic. You want to find what is it you're providing that you want to sell somebody that they may want to buy. Now, still, you're going to get a lot of feedback, which is not interested, out of the office, wrong email, whatever. But if you can target some of those people who are the decision makers for the thing that you want to do, I think that there is some value in it. I wouldn't use it as my only CRM. I wouldn't say, hey, this is how I'm just going to do it. But as one of the avenues for developing a customer base, mm -hmm. I think there's some value in that. Well, I would agree with you. I think the technology continues to evolve. I think the last time I looked at, there's a website called Chief Martech that sort of tracks about 8,000 sales and marketing applications today, right? Which are yeah. 7,998 more than what any small company <laughs> needs to That's look at. Touche, yep. 
but you know, there's still a lot, apparently lots of space in that market for new entrants. So, you know, in the first part of this program, we talked about internal communications. And then in the second part, we've been talking more about external communications. And I took a few points that I'd like to just have you sort of highlight as we kind of summarize here, Rob. So one is you're really encouraging companies to start with a strategic view of what you're trying to accomplish, right? Sort of a strategic view of marketing, of customer acquisition, customer development. A key thing, and one of my biggest clients went through a rebrand, which I helped come up with and dealt with, you know, worked alongside the CMO and then was able to meet with the CEO and chairman on a regular basis for a while. And it was a really good exercise. I'm not suggesting, hey, everybody needs to do a rebrand, but let's just back it up for a second and just say, as you were doing, and as you were coming up with your internal communications plan, how are you all talking about what you do? What are the key tenets of what your company does And people are going to say, oh gosh, you're making it so simple. I'm making it so simple because really, if you start at this level, it's a lot simpler to deal with. So how do you talk about your company? What is it that you offer that nobody else does? Where's the niche in the market where you live that nobody else does? Yes, you have competitors, but there still has to be something unique that you provide. And so I would urge everybody before you do the external piece yeah. is make sure that your internal piece, and again, I'm not suggesting, hey, everybody do a rebrand because that's very time consuming. It's costly. It's that sort of thing. If you need one, you should do it. But if you don't need one, you still need to come up with internal communication strategy that everybody understands. Here's how we talk about the company. Now, depending on where you are in the company, you're going to express that a little bit differently because CEO is going to talk about it differently than the VP of sales and that sort of thing. Sure. But as long as you have to call them like foul lines, Here are the foul lines of what we do. And you can come up with different concepts about how you work with the client. What is the service you are providing? That's very important, but it's only a one key tenant. And then perhaps there's another piece of it. Why would I want to feel good about working with you? What do you do in the community? What do you do to make the world a better place? And I know some people may be scoffing right now going, that's not important. Trust me. There's so many millennials working now. And one of their key things, whenever they hire on. So if you want to get talent, if you want to acquire talent, if you want to keep talent on your roster, and a lot of these are millennials, that piece of it is important. So if you look at it in sort of silos that way and figure out how you talk about the company and then train them on it, which is what I do with a couple of my clients, training them on the marketing and branding. Here's the rebrand we're doing. Here's how we're marketing ourselves. And here, I don't want everybody to remember for four sentences and parrot them. I want you to understand basic concepts about who this company is. Right. Yeah. And then we go externally to our stakeholders, to our customers, to potential clients, whatever the case is. And we are able to talk in a uniform way about who we are. So we don't have, you know, if you're a tech person or if you're in marketing or if you're in sales or whatever, we don't want everybody talking about the company in such different ways that it muddles the message. We want to be able talk about unique little offshoots of the company, but we have a clear central message of who we are and we have these supporting messages of what we do. So it always starts with internal. And if you're going and thinking about external, you better make sure that everybody is aligned internally. And that's where I spend a lot of my time helping clients is how we find that message discipline. That's my term that I love, the message discipline about who we are. Because if we talk about it in a uniform way, even if it's not the exact identical way externally, we're going to have a lot greater chance of success. 
And I think you just sort of brought today's discussion full circle, right? In the sense of, well, two things. One, you know, why it's so important to revisit your positioning and your value proposition in today's time, right? Because your prospects, your opportunities could look very differently in 21 than they might have in 20. The markets you might have served may have changed, right? Maybe they're accelerating growth. Maybe their growth has really been dampened. You know, maybe they've been crushed by the pandemic and it's going to take them a while to dig out. So revisiting that is really important. And then your comments around getting everybody internally on the same page to articulate those key points or those key value statements in their own words is also, I think, a key success factor in today's market. I mean, I'd argue that's a success factor in any market, right? Agreed. You know, interestingly enough, I don't remember the numbers exactly, but a couple of years ago, Boston Consulting Group did a study on value props. And I think it was 90 some percent of CEOs thought that everybody in their business should be able to articulate the value prop. Okay. But when asked what their value prop was, only 7% of those same (laughs) CEOs could articulate it. Therein lies the problem. Therein lies the problem. Here's the thing. If you're doing a value prop, if you're doing a rebrand or something of that nature, the CEO, the chairman, whoever the top boss is, he or she is going to have a huge say as to how that is articulated. So they should be able to do it better than everybody. But I suspect that a lot of these CEOs have not spent time really thinking critically about, all right, I'm in an elevator or I'm in a cocktail party. We're not in cocktail parties right now, but hopefully we'll get back to them. Hey, what do you do? Tell me about your company. Those are easy questions. And you'd be surprised at how many people struggle with the so-called elevator pitch. Right. All the elevator pitch does is it gets you to the next question. You do a good enough 15, 20, 30 seconds on who you are or what you do that somebody asks a follow-up question that gets you talking more about you and your company. So sometimes people think, hey, tell me what you do. And they think the elevator pitch or the cocktail party conversation needs to be three minutes of a monologue. And I say, no, 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 no. Do like 15, 20, 30 seconds, have it be powerful and have it lead to the next question. And then you can get into more of the meat about what you do. And as it relates to CEOs and C-suite level executives, They want everybody to be able to express that value prop, but at the same time, they may struggle to do the same thing, which is why everybody, this isn't just the CEO saying, hey, all of you, you, we need you to get the value prop. Look in the mirror too, because we all need to do it. And you know, that's kind of where we started the conversation, right? About CEO style, CEO's time, you know, their skills and communication skill sets. So Thanks. I think you've offered some great practical guidance to the audience, Rob. That's what we try to do on this program. I'm guessing there's going to be more than a few people that would love to follow up with you. How best would you like people to contact you? And we'll publish your LinkedIn and your email address and kind of the show notes, but how should people follow up with you? I think those are all great. I won't express the LinkedIn here on, you'll be able to see it because it's very complicated, but I would say reach out to me on LinkedIn reach out to me at my website, www.rj47llc.com. And my email address, that's a really great way to reach me, is robjohnson, all one word, at rj47llc.com. So those are the best ways to get a hold of me. And if you want to continue a conversation or begin a conversation, 
that's the best way to get a hold of me because I will respond. And I always like meeting new people and figuring out what their needs are and how I might help them. Well, thanks, Rob. Thanks for joining us today. And gosh, for a 30-year TV guy, you do radio pretty well. (laughs) (laughs) I get to fill in from time to time here in Chicago. So I've been able to do some radio. So the thing is, I can talk. So uh, it's all good. As long as you can talk, (laughs) you're fine. But thanks for having me. I really do appreciate it. And I appreciate the people that are listening out there. Yeah, you're very welcome. So thanks, everybody, for joining us today. And stay tuned next month for another show. We're going to jump into couple of series on Amazon, friend or foe, kind of looking at Amazon as a strategic partner or as a big competitor. And that will be the next couple of episodes of the Practical CMO. So thanks again, Rob, and all the best. Thank you very much. And I appreciate the opportunity.